you'll please take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. We've been saying now for a couple of weeks that the Bible tells the greatest, truest story ever told. It's the story that gives our life meaning and context and purpose. And is isn't just the story of people who lived a long time ago. It's your story and my story. And, but ultimately, it's God's story. He's the author. He's the central character. But He has given us each a role to play in His story. So as we read through this great story this year, and I hope that you're reading with me, uh, we still do have some reading plans in the vestibule in the back. If you'll grab that before you leave, or you can always download the Read Scripture app uh, and use that. Uh, it's the same thing, but we hope that you guys will join with us in reading the Bible. It's still not too late. We're going to wrap up Genesis tomorrow and on Tuesday start Exodus. If you wanted, you could just start in Exodus and just go from there, and you can catch back up with reading Genesis later on. But as we read through this great story, I just want you to place yourself within that story. Ask yourself, how do the actions and events and truths of what I'm reading right now, how does it touch my life? How should I live my life in light of God's amazing story? Today, we're going to begin walking through that together on Sunday mornings, and we're going to start at the very beginning, because that's a very good place to start, right? So Genesis 1 and 2 gives us a glimpse into the world as God created it. The world as God intended it to be. A world that is pure, holy, good, very good. A world that was meant to reflect God's nature and glorify God's name. And the better we understand this first part of the story, the better we'll understand everything else that follows. So there's no doubt when we're reading Genesis 1 and 2 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Unlike what some people think, the earth does not belong to us. It is not ours to do with as we please. God has put us in charge of it, but God is the creator and owner of the entire universe. Nothing exists apart from His express will. Now, you really stop and think about that, that's more than just a little humbling. Because we are not the center of the universe, are we? We are not even the point of the universe. We exist by God's grace and desire. He alone has ultimate authority. But as we'll soon see, God does delegate some authority to us in order to accomplish His purpose for us and for the world that He has made. But we are no more in charge of the world than the clay is in charge of the pot the, clay, the potter makes it out of. And there's a pattern as we look at Genesis 1. There's a pattern, and we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, that God speaks things into existence. God says, let there be light, and there it is. Let there be a firmament in the, in, to divide the waters above and below. There it is. Let there be dry land. There it is. God speaks Things come into existence. He starts to establish boundaries. He divides these waters from these waters. He separates day from night. He begins to separate and to organize things. He starts to name things like sky, land, sea, sun, moon, day, night. And God sees each thing that He has made and He's pleased with it. And He declares it good. 
But then there's a change in the pattern in Genesis 1.26, if you'll look at that with me, either in your Bibles or on the screen. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. Every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here we see God pauses to plan out the pinnacle of creation. Human beings. We may not be the point of creation. We may not be the center of the universe, but we are the pinnacle of God's creation. And unlike anything else God has made so far, these human beings are made in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Well, you talk about a phrase loaded with mystery. (laughs) What does that mean to be created in the image of God? Well, it doesn't mean, thank goodness, that God looks like me. Am I right? I mean, look at your neighbor and say, I'm so thankful that God doesn't look like you. That's not what that means, that we somehow physically resemble God. In fact, Jesus tells us, among many other places in the Bible, that God is spirit. And so we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean that you and I are made in the likeness or the image of God? Well, a big part of that, I believe, is this unique relationship that we have with God. From the beginning, God has created and called people to be His partners in the world. You stop and think about that. Wow. We are created and called to partner with God? And it's not that God needs us. He doesn't need us, but God wants us. He desires that we be a part of what He is doing in the world. And we see this not only in Genesis 1 and 2, but after the great flood. You know, God, things got so bad, God, God cleansed the world with a flood, saved the animals on the ark and Noah and his family. And after the flood, God issued a similar charge to Noah and his family. He says this in Genesis 9-1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. So he repeats to Noah what he had said originally to Adam. Unfortunately, Noah and his descendants weren't any better than Adam and Eve. They were just as prone to sin. And the rest of humanity, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, So, as a result, generations passed and God calls one man to be the father of a family that will grow into a nation through whom God will bless the world. Look with me at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, 
Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Listen to what God says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, we are called somehow to be the means through which God fills the earth with His image. We are the means through which God chooses to bless the world. We are partners with God. We are His image bearers in the world. And so as we look at Adam, Noah, Abram, and so many examples throughout Scripture, we see at least three ways that we partner with God in bearing His image in the world. And the first way is that we are made to reflect God's character. We are made to reflect God's character. Now, let me remind you what I said in last week's sermon. I expect to see heads down and pins a-flying, taking notes on that on those notes there on the back of your bulletin. That's part of this interactive process of the sermon, is I want you guys to listen and reflect and take notes. You know, a lot of time, lots of times people will look at Abby and they'll say, well, you're acting just like your daddy. My parents say that all the time. Oh, that's your dad coming out in you. Thankfully, most of the time people look at Abby and they say, you're just like your mother. And that's so much better to hear. But we often are told that we resemble our parents. We talk about that family resemblance. We bear traits that look like our, our mother and our father for good or for bad, right? Sometimes we wish we didn't reflect some of those traits. But we, as people made in the image of God, are supposed to reflect the traits of our Father in heaven. There should be a family resemblance between us and God. And that's what God created Adam to do. But unfortunately, Adam and the rest of humanity and all of us have failed at reflecting the character of God. And so Jesus came. And Jesus succeeded where all others failed. And He gives us that perfect picture, that ultimate reflection of who God is. Paul writes about this in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of of the invisible God, then the author of Hebrews says this, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Jesus does what all of us were created to do but failed to do. He is the visible representation of the invisible God, radiating God's glory throughout the world. And where people in general have failed to do that, through Jesus Christ... We can be made right with God. And as His Spirit comes to indwell us, He shapes us more and more into His image so that we can reflect and reveal God's handiwork in a way no one else in creation can. As bearers of God's image, redeemed by Christ Jesus, I just thought of three. These are just three random characteristics of God. We could just preach a whole year's worth of sermons on these different characteristics. But for example, holiness. We were made to reflect God's holiness. You know, if you look back at life in the Garden of Eden, it was holy. Everything was sacred. Everything. They walked constantly in the very presence of God. And that's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart for God's glory. It means to be purely devoted to Him. It means that, that you walk with God every day such that everything is sacred. We should reflect that. Life in the garden reflected that. 
We should also reflect God's love. John tells us that God is love. And in the garden, Adam and Eve reflected that pure, selfless love of God when it says that they were naked and knew no shame. Now, what does that, what's the significance of that? They were naked and knew no shame. Well, it's because they were experiencing community as it was meant to be. They didn't know what it meant to be self-conscious. They didn't know what it meant to be self-centered. There were no hidden motives or agendas. They gave and received love freely, no holding back. We should reflect God's love. And, and the third one, faithfulness. God is a faithful God. He always shows Himself faithful to His creation, especially to those created in His image. God is trustworthy to fulfill His promises. God made a world that is dependable. You know, I mean, sure we have disasters and things like that as a result of sin, but God created the universe with these immutable laws of physics. The law of gravity, the law of energy, the laws of, of motion, of cause and effect, action and reaction. God created a dependable universe. Science is based on the orderliness of the creation, and it's a testimony to our faithful and dependable God. And as a result, God expects faithfulness from us, doesn't He? God gave Adam and Eve the choice to either be faithful or unfaithful to Him, to trust Him or distrust Him, to depend upon Him or depend upon themselves. That's one of the reasons God put that tree of knowledge of good and evil. People often ask, David, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat the tree and sin was going to come, why did God put this tree in the garden? Well, He put it there so that we would have the ability to choose to be faithful to Him. And next week we're going to look at what happens to those made in God's image that deny that image. What happens when we're unfaithful, undependable, disobedient, unholy, self-centered? What happens when we no longer reflect the character of our Creator? We'll look at that next week. So the first way we partner with God is we reflect His character. The second way we partner with God is that we are made to embody God's kingdom. We embody God's kingdom. I watched a great video in Sunday school this morning. It's one of the Bible Project videos. I, I, I encourage you to go ahead and watch it if you haven't. It's about being in the, made in the image of God. And in there they talk about that in the ancient Near East, kings would set up these statues, these images of themselves as this visual announcement of who was in charge. It's sort of like when we went to the moon, what did we do? We staked our flag, right? We kind of made this declaration, this claim that we've been there and, and this spot belongs to us. And, and, and that's, you know, back in the day, in colonial times, you know, nations would go out, they'd plant their flag on the shore to declare this now belongs to England, for example. And so that was a signal to everybody there that this king has ultimate authority here. Well, Psalm 8 that we heard this morning says that God has placed us in a special position on the earth. God has crowned us with glory and honor so that we could stand as reminders that God is king of this world. He has made us to reflect His glory and embody His kingdom on earth. Another way to think about that is we're like ambassadors. 
Then the United States has embassies all over the world. And in each embassy there's an ambassador. And that ambassador represents the President of the United States, carries that kind of authority in that place. And that's considered U.S. soil right there. It's an outpost of our freedom and democracy. We as Christians and as churches, we are ambassadors and embassies for the kingdom of God. And we are placed on this earth to be outposts of His rule and His reign. God is a spirit, as we said. And so He made a a physical world, and He made physical representations of Himself so that we could represent and embody His kingdom in this world. And of course, Jesus is that fullest embodiment of who God is, right? We say that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And when someone gives their life to Jesus, He fills them with His Spirit. And His Spirit begins to change that person's character to reflect His own. Paul calls that the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says that as we reflect His character and we embody His kingdom, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things will just radiate from us. We will bear them out as fruit. We embody God's kingdom when we see the hungry, the naked, the thirsty, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned. When we see those people around us and then out of love for them, we reach out to them to, make, to meet their needs. We embody God's kingdom. And when the king returns to his kingdom to bring it in all of its fullness, Jesus will say to us, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus said we are to embody His kingdom as salt and light in the earth so that others may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. In fact, the very name Christian means little Christ. We are to be little Jesuses everywhere we go, scattered throughout the world like salt, shining throughout this dark world like lights, showing others what Jesus is like, embodying how the kingdom of God operates. So we reflect God's character. We embody God's kingdom. And thirdly, we are made to partner with God in creation. When God made man, He immediately put him to work in the garden. People think that work is the result of sin, of the fall, that it's a curse. That's not true. The fact that work can be so laborious and and brow, just sweat of the brow and breaking your back and that sort of thing, that's the result of the curse. Because work was meant to be enjoyable. God created us to work. Look at Genesis chapter 2. You should be there in the neighborhood still. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and then verses 19 and 20. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God took the man, so before sin, put him in the garden to work it to take care of it. And then drop down to verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. Now in between there is this little piece where God looks down at man and says, it's not good for man to be alone. He realized that man needed a helper. He needed a fellow partner to work with him 
to work God's creation. And that's part of God's image in us. Just as God created us to be in this partnering relationship with Him, so man wanted someone to partner with Him in continuing God's good work. So God created woman. Not to serve the man, but to be His partner in helping creation to flourish. Now, how do we do that? How do we partner with God in helping creation to flourish? Well, a couple of ways. One is we continue to order things. In Genesis 1, God names and orders creation. We see Adam continuing that as he names and categorizes the animals. Paul later will tell us that God is not the God of chaos and confusion, but the God of order. And as a way of reflecting God's orderliness, he tells the Corinthian Christians that their worship should be orderly. Now think for just a minute of all the ways you can bring order to God's world, to our lives, to the lives of others. Maybe you, like my wife, you're an organizational guru. I mean, you can pack a suitcase like nobody's business, right? And still fit a small child in it. I mean, it's it's just... Some people are like that. You just have this mind for organizing things. Maybe you like to, 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 to put for things to be in their place and, and to know exactly where everything is. Maybe you enjoy organizing people. And you lead and organize a team to be able to accomplish a task, and that gives you great pleasure. Perhaps you love science, studying and understanding God's creation, naming and ordering God's world. Maybe you like government and law and leadership, ordering humanity in such a way that we flourish together as a society. Guess what? You are partnering with God in creation. You are embodying His kingdom and reflecting His character. You are made in His image. We also can do this by by enjoying and further creating beauty. God made a beautiful world, didn't He? Didn't He? And He desires for us to appreciate that beauty and contribute to that beauty. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, we see people using God's creation to praise His name. In Psalm 8 earlier, we heard uh, the psalmist say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You've set Your glory above the heavens, and when I consider them, the work of Your fingers, the moon, the stars, which You've set in place, what is man? God takes great pleasure in His world, and He wants us to do the same. And, and when we do, it should drive us to look to Him and to praise His Name And we see throughout the Bible God calling people to take what He has made and make works of art and make music and cook good food and write beautiful poems and prayers all for the glory of God. And that kind of leads to the next one, culture. Now, too often we think of culture as the enemy, right? We talk about the culture. And what we mean is we're talking about the lost world that's been tainted by sin that's perverted culture. But culture is simply the result of humanity's efforts to organize the world as God commanded when He told us to have dominion over it. In many ways, the Old Testament is the story of how God prepared a specific cultural context into which Jesus would come. The incarnation was more than just God putting on flesh and bone. Jesus put on Jewish culture. He stepped into a specific time and place in human history with its own specific language and rituals and customs. And Jesus put on that first century Jewish culture so that He could communicate the truth about God and make a way of redemption for us. And so we should think of culture as a God-given tool that we can use to connect people 
with Jesus. And so we as Christians should be producing the best art, the best music. We should be designing the best buildings and coming up with the best medical procedures. We should be passing the best policies in government. Because it is the best way that we can help people to see the glory of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's masterpiece. And He created you to make more masterpieces, to do good works, to partner with Him in further flourishing His creation. Think for a moment about the work that you do. It has been prepared by God. It is your special assignment. It's how you're partnering with God. Now, I've prompted a few people in the congregation, and I'm going to ask them how they see themselves partnering with God in creation. And I'm going to start over here with Don. Don Powers, city administrator. How do you see your work as partnering with God? Well, uh, we remind them that they have thousands of bosses and that they're always watched and they have the responsibility of taking care of the community and that they should do it in a way that's positive and with a servant heart. Amen. Thank you, Don. All right, and uh, we've got... Doesn't always work. Yeah, I, I know what that's like. Uh, Tiffany Tanner teaches music at Maxwell. Tiffany, how do you see yourself partnering with God? Um, I've always thought that God called me to be um, a teacher, um, and not only a teacher, but a music teacher, um, so I can, you know, be, like you said, an extension of God's love to my kids, and also um, share my love of music with them so that, you know, even if one kid grows up to be, you know, a musician or a music teacher, then, you know, that, that fulfills me. Um, and also, you know, giving back. I think music is a talent that God gave me, and I firmly believe that if he gives you a talent, to give it back to him. So, Amen. Thank you. Um, and then it's not just in what our work is, our vocation, but as we serve in the church, we can also partner with God. Charles McDonald, uh, he and Summer lead our Financial Peace University. Um, Charles, say just a few words about how you see that as partnering with God. Well... With financial peace, you know, it teaches us principles of how to be good stewards of the gifts that God gives us. And with our finances, it touches everything in our lives. And when we become good stewards and we get a plan that's easy to follow but not easy yeah. um, in place that helps us be good stewards, it creates discipline in our lives that kind of touches everything. Um, and, you know, and by doing it God's way, we give more, we... Um, get out of debt, and by getting out of debt, we have money so we can actually help people. Um, because like one of the things Dave Ramsey says, what if all Christians didn't have a payment, didn't have payments going out? Think about how much we could give and help others if we didn't have debt. Amen. Thank you so much. Tina, I'm going to give him this way. Tina Swan uh, teaches art at Thompson High School. So, Tina, how do you see what you do with students in art as partnering with God? I just feel like that um, God gave me a talent like he gave everyone a talent. And I use that talent in order to encourage my students to find their own talent. No matter what level they're at, I always encourage a piece of their artwork and try to share it with others. So, And I try to encourage them that we don't do it for ourselves, we do it for others. And hopefully that I've touched somebody's life that they will go out and share that work with someone else. So. Amen. Thank you. That's fantastic. 
uh, James, uh, James Bridges, again, working with the church. He works with our bicycle ministry. James, how do you see that as partnering with God? Uh, from um, for the conception of the bicycle ministry, uh, it's been a amazing and a blessing to see the kids that would uh, not necessarily get a bike or get a gift at all for Christmas. We'll give them a bike and and the blessings of the people showing their heart or love, they give the bike for us to hand out to uh, the kids, that, the love that Jesus is showing to them. Um, even during the year, uh, not even just at Christmas, uh, there have been occasions where people, for one reason or another, couldn't drive an automobile to get to work. We give them a bike to get to work. Uh, Jesus has been all over this, it's, and it's not been lost on us It's it's not us. It's not men's outreach Sunday school. It's not First Baptist Church. It's Jesus Christ working through us. Amen. Uh, this year we gave over 100 bicycles around Thompson area. Earlier in the year we sent 116 bicycles to Kentucky, and another. And in the fall of the year we sent 80 something bicycles to Louisiana. If we had tried to do this, we'd have failed immediately. But it's not. Us helping Jesus is Jesus helping us. Amen. Thank you, James. Uh, Kelly um, Kitchens. Where, where's Kelly at over here? Oh, that's right. You're in the choir. I forgot. Okay. Um, I'll catch you last. All right? So it gives you a, a little bit of, of time to keep thinking here. Uh, Susan, Susan Land, we'll let you take it here. I'm running, I'm running all over the place. I told somebody, I said, I'm going to do this Oprah style. You know, just kind of out in the... And they said, are you going to give away a car? And I said... <laughs> Maybe a matchbox car, we'll, we'll, you know, so. Or a Lego car. How's that? There we go. Susan, how do you see yourself partnering with God as a doctor? I think one of the things, particularly being in a small town, is just having real relationships with people and understanding where they come from and what affects their lives. And then through that relationship, being able to help them to make good decisions and good choices with their health and keeping their health as good as it can be and and I think God um, asks us to do the best we can with our health and our life, both spiritually and financially and physically. And then through that relationship, um, helping them to you know, find the best ways to keep their health up. And, and then when illness and injury does come, you know, using modern medicine to help improve that health and also improve the quality of life that we have. Thank you so much. One that uh, that would not be an easy one and... and I've got Russell. Gary's going to share about how he partners with God and what he does with, with Savannah Valley Memorial Gardens. And, and I know Keith and Foster would probably speak along those similar lines. How do you partner with God when you're working with people who've experienced loss? Yeah, we, we worship a God of order. And I partner with God and a small group of dedicated people in this community to, uh, to help bring a sense of order back to people that are sick with grief. Uh, we can't heal grief, but uh, I can do my work in such a way that, that uh, people know that someone cares about them and someone that cares about what they're going through. And in small ways, that's what God lets me do. Amen. Thank you. And Kelly, she, she takes the, the raw material of people and works with them to create beauty. And admittedly, that's easier with some than others, isn't it? So how do you see yourself partnering with God in what you do? Well, when people come to me, they take this time to relax and just 
let loose and let the cares of the world go. And sometimes they share with me stuff they're going through. And um, so what I can do is I can help encourage them and pray for them. And not only will they go out looking better, but hopefully they'll go out feeling a little better. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much, Kelly. You know, we could just keep on doing this. You know, we could just keep on doing this. But I just want you to stop and think about what you do. And I want you to reframe what you do in terms of, I'm partnering with God. And I'm, I'm working with God to help people have better lives, to help the world flourish, to help God's glory to be reflected in what I do. The last way we do this is, is the word life. We help bring order, beauty. We help bring culture. And we help bring life. You know, and that's not just having babies, although that is, I don't mean to dismiss or, dis, or diminish that. That is important. God told us to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But then in Matthew chapter 28, while we call the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all peoples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I command you. As Christians, God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with disciples, with people who once again can reflect the image of God because of what Christ has done inside of them. Now, as we conclude this morning, I want to ask you to think of three questions. Three simple questions. All of us are made in God's image. Right, But our sin distorts and hides God's image. But through faith in Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that He made on Calvary's cross, the image of God is made new in us. And we become more like Jesus, who perfectly reflects the image of God. So my first question is, do you know Jesus? Have you experienced His power in your life? Is He reflecting God's image into the world through you? I hope today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you will come down this morning and experience the newness of life that only Jesus can bring. Let Him bring out that image of God that is within you to shine His glory to the world. The second question I have for you to think about is, how is God calling you to partner with Him as a follower of Jesus? You know, maybe this morning you need to rededicate yourself to this holy, grace-filled partnership with God in your profession, in your day-to-day life and work, in your relationships, in your church? Would God have you this morning to just rededicate yourself in partnering with Him to reflect His glory and embody His kingdom in this world? And finally, my final question is, maybe God this morning is calling you to partner with us here at First Baptist Church. Maybe God is stirring within your heart saying, this is the church family that you, He wants you to commit yourself to and to plant yourself with right here in Thompson, Georgia to help us to be that outpost of God's kingdom in this world. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as we do, I hope that you will listen to the voice of God, that you will partner with Him in obedience, and you will do what He says. Let's stand together and sing.